Good morning and welcome to Faithbrook. My name is Josh Friesen and I'm one of the volunteers here at Faithbrook. And whether you're joining us in person or online, we are so thankful and excited that you've joined us for worship today. Now, if you're newer here, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. So in the seat in front of you, there's a blue connect card. Please consider filling it out and dropping it in the giving box on the way out today. Or if you're joining us online, there is an electronic one available as well. What you can expect is somebody from our staff will reach out to you to get to know you a little bit better and so you can get to know Faithbrook a little bit better as well. Part of Faithbrook's mission is to lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ. And doing so requires great thought and intentionality. So that's why we have our groups here at Faithbrook. We have two different types of groups here at Faithbrook. One is our life groups. Our life groups typically meet at somebody's home and it can vary between weekly, monthly. And it is a great time to build community here within Faithbrook and just do life together, where it's celebrating people's highs or helping people through their lows. And we also have our community groups, like our mom's group, our seniors group, and throughout the year, we have different types of group events that pop up as well. And it is a great time to focus in with those similar interests and those similar stages of life people are at to grow in faith as well. Now, most of our groups right now are prepping to take a little bit of a hiatus for the Christmas holiday season, but we'll be starting up shortly in January again. So now is a great time to either visit the Church Center app or our website to find a group that fits your interests. And we would love it if you joined one of our groups in 2024. Now in just a second, let's welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we kick off our series, All I Want for Christmas. Do you remember when you were younger that you had some dear gifts that you were hoping that your parents would deliver to you on Christmas morning? There's always those um, trendy, fashionable gifts that you're like, man, I, I need one of those, especially as a child. We can go all the way back to the 60s and 70s. Uh, what are the trendy, hot uh, gifts? Well, one of them was the old Easy Bake Oven. Do they still make that today? I'm not sure. Um, my sisters used to have one of those, right? I discovered that there was a wicked light bulb in there that could just kind of burn your hand off and uh, make some toasty things. It was pretty cool and novel. Uh, also, back in those days, what the boys wanted was one of these. How many of you know what that is, right? That's not just a clown, that, that's a pop-up, right? And you could just like punch that thing to death, right? And just blow it down and it would pop back up and the parents loved it because it just exasperate their boys, right? Just have a world of fun with the old pop-up blow-up toy. There were some others through the years. For instance, these three. We, we got this Teddy figure on the left, right? Everybody needed to have one of those to, for the smart people. Is there a Rubik's Cube? Uh, that was trendy. And then the Cabbage Patch. Yes, not sure why that got really famous, but you had to have one of those. My wife had a couple of those, right? It was really trendy. Um, what else we have? Oh, yes, yes. Then we started moving up in technology. We got the old Game Boy Man, guys loved that. That was high tech, absolutely. Now, if you couldn't sit still, uh, well, then there's a Furby. Let's not forget that, 
right? I'm not sure who invented that, but you could get one at Toys R Us and you had to have that and then throw it away in a couple of years. Yes, but it's super trendy. Everybody wanted that. And then, and then for us who couldn't sit still, right, you got a fidget spinner. And I think every kid in America had a couple of these, right? The parents like, yes, I'm sure you maybe brought some today. If you get bored, you can just kind of spin that during the sermon. Yeah, now for me, what I wanted when I was a young man was a Swin Stingray bike. It looked like that right there. I mean, I ran the wheels off of that thing. I loved it. I'll never forget when that showed up in my family room on a Christmas morning as a seven-year-old. Man, this is all I wanted. Well, we're going to talk a lot about what we want for Christmas. And I would suggest to you that there's some qualities that are deeper than just gifts or whatever's trendy. There's some qualities that we are looking for as humans and in the heart. And one is love. And we're going to talk about that next week. All I want for Christmas is love and joy and, of course, peace. Now, today, we're going to look at what, what we want dearly is some hope. Would anybody want some hope? Maybe you're online watching us and uh, life is pretty down or you're sick or something like this. And he's like, God, can I have some real hope that really makes sense in my soul and in my life? Now let's talk about hope a little bit. Hope is what kind of inspires us. It's kind of what uh, motivates us, maybe. Uh, sometimes it's frivolous things or surfacey things. Uh, many people hope that they win the lottery. Man, if I just win that lottery. Or, man, I hope that I'm invited to this party. Or I hope I get this job. Or I hope that my sports teams will win, right? That usually doesn't happen around here. Sometimes we, we are talked into using some mental exercises that I'm just going to force myself to be a hopeful person. I'm, I'm going to be optimistic, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, we're going to always see the glass half full. Uh, that, that's positive, right? We're, we're going to send out some good vibes. Uh, we're going to tell people, good luck, cross your fingers. We kind of hope that things work out. But also, hope is what we trust in, <clears throat> We're notorious for putting our hope in certain things that we're going to count on. For instance, we're hoping that our career and our job is going to provide for us. We're going to hope that our 401 uh, produces that we will have some kind of retirement. We're going to hope that the humanity doesn't let us down and our neighbors and the government will, will be our right. We're going to hope in our family. At least someone will love us and, and help us. But where do we hope spiritually? Where do we put our hope when it comes to our last breath and, and we are going to the, the next life? Are we certain that we would make it to heaven? Are we certain that we're all right with, with God? Uh, if you ask someone and said, you know, what is your hope for eternal life? Uh, if, if something would happen to you, an accident or something, and are you certain that you'd go to heaven? And say, well, I, I hope so, right? I, uh, why do you hope so? Well, I... I hope that God would bring out the divine scales and my good goodness would outweigh some of the bad. I've done some bad, but I'm a pretty good person. And somewhere God was like, ah, right? Some people say, well, I hope what my parents did when I was an infant, I don't really remember it, but the infant baptized me. And someone said that that's your hope, that, that you're okay. And I hope that's going to work out. I don't, I don't really know, Jim. A lot of times hope can easily disappoint us. Our job doesn't last or work out. Our, that relationship that was going to fix everything doesn't 
last. Even humanity and our sports teams can disappoint us. Even our family can, can kind of um, get dysfunctional and let us down. Kind of reminds me of uh, my kids uh, every Christmas Eve through the years we would, uh, we would ask, allow them to open one present. And so there'd be a couple presents out there and, and they'd have to make a choice. Uh, which present they're going to open. And Terry was always notorious for wrapping at least one of them a new package of fresh underwear, right? New fresh underwear. And uh, man, if they opened that for their one Christmas Eve present, right? what a bummer. What a total letdown and disappointment. They were so hopeful for something much better. And that's the way life can be a lot of times. The Jews 2,000 years ago by the time when Jesus arrived, were very hopeless. They were looking for some hope. See, at one time, they had a wonderful uh, resume. Their nation, the Israelites, at one time, they were the most prominent, powerful, beautiful nation on the globe at that time. You just look back at the Old Testament. They had some um, awesome uh, stories to tell about Moses that exited them out of the Egyptian empire. They went through the Red Sea and God helped them to campaign and they eventually got to the promised land and they conquered the promised land. They set up camp and before we knew it, they were building an iconic city of Jerusalem that had the great walls. They had some spectacular kings, King David, King Solomon, and they built that magnificent palace that everyone was envious about and they were just ruling and, and wonderful, but eventually they would kind of lose their focus on God. Eventually, uh, they would start becoming disobedient. They would compromise. And God would take his favor off of them. And pretty soon their enemies would take over, the Syrians, the Babylonians. And now, 500 years later, they're kind of just sequestered to this, this land in a broken down city of Jerusalem. The Roman Empire's kind of taken over the kingdom and the Romans just kind of saw the Jews as some kind of little sect. And why don't you just behave yourself and stay over there and don't cause any ruckus. And, and there they were, kind of hopeless. They didn't have any prominent prophet or preacher, no leader, not much influence, wondering if they would ever have any hope back in their life. Now, if they read the Old Testament scrolls and read carefully that some of the old timers, some of the the forefathers would write some nuggets of hope in the scriptures, that there would be this hope. There would be what they called a Messiah, someone that would bring them hope, someone that would deliver him. For example, Isaiah 9, when he wrote, for to us a child is born, to us a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. There was a minor prophet, Zechariah, who said, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lovely, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Isn't it true that that's what Christ did when he entered in on Palm Sunday? Wasn't he on a donkey? Was these riders foretelling and prophesying of the Messiah hope of him coming? Minor prophet Micah, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one. Who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old and from the ancient 
days. Did they catch that? Little Bethlehem, there's going to be the one that comes. Man, it was tough times when Joseph, who was betrothed and engaged to Mary, found that Mary was with child. You talk about discouragement and disappointment, maybe anger. How could this be? As far as he was concerned, it was the only way that his, his fiance could be pregnant. That was from another man. How, how dare she? He was ready to get rid of her and divorce her. And then the angel showed up to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Do you get it, Joseph? And then it came, Christmas, that morning, where the Son of God gave us his beloved, his only son, as a baby, and gave birth in that lonely manger. He would be the Christ child. He would be Jesus, the author of life, the hope of the world. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine the hope that sprang to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and eventually the wise men? All of time would split from B.C. to A.D. because of this Christ child. And this Christ child who was all uh, human would go through what we went through in adolescence and growing. And eventually, he would take on his mission to be the sacrifice for the sins of our sins. Eventually, he would allow himself to be crucified. But he would resurrect himself three days later, authenticate himself as the hope of the world. There was a convert to this new hope, this Christianity. His name was the Apostle Paul. At one time, man, he was a religious zealot. His whole world and his hope was all related to his background and his tradition and his rituals. But now he found something different. This hope wasn't in his good works that hopefully God would see how religious he was and how faithful he was and, and say, wow, good for you. I'll let you into heaven. He, he started to realize that it was different. His true hope was through grace that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. And so he wrote a letter to some Christians that were pretty discouraged. They were living at this time in the capital city of Rome. Now, Rome was the Roman Empire that was in Jesus' days. They were massive and powerful, uh, Caesar Augustus, and they ruled. And here these, these Christians were just trying to survive. Now, Paul never, had never been there yet, but he felt for him. So he wanted to write him a letter. And we have that letter in the New Testament called the Book of Romans. And they're kind of up for grabs exactly what their hope is. What, what exactly makes it that we're right with God if something would happen to them. And so he writes 16 chapters in the middle of this book of Romans, he really starts drilling down about what true hope is, the rock-solid hope, especially when it comes spiritually, eternity. How do we get right with God? So he writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Now, how many would love to lay down tonight and know that you're right with God? I got peace with God. God's happy with me. I'm going to be okay we're good. He says, since we've been justified through faith, we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have gained access by faith 
into his grace. Now that's important. In which we now stand. His hope is going to be in this faith and this grace, not his religion, not his uh, morality or his good works. And we boast in the hope of the glory to God. He's so excited, he's so confident. So the rest of the world's all confident about, well, uh, maybe Caesar will do what's right. Maybe we'll get some political figure. Maybe our income will um, increase. Maybe I'll find Mr. or Mrs. Wright and there'll be the great romance. Or maybe I'll just live by good fives and good luck. Paul has found something deeper, something more eternally called, and he's boasting about this hope of the glory of God. He continues to write, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. He knew that they were suffering. Have you ever suffered? Uh, many times there is difficulties in suffering, but it produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yes, there's problems. Yes, there's disappointments. But we learn through the Holy Spirit, whose grace is sufficient, who reminds us of his promises, that he's with us. He's not going to leave us. He will give us what we need. And before we know it, we're persevering. Next thing we know, our character is being built. And next thing we know, there is hope through Christ and his Holy Spirit. Everyone needs hope. In the ancient days, when their nations were in war, people were always looking for good news. They were looking for some hope. Now, in, in the Old Testament ancient days, there wasn't much communication. They didn't even hardly have paper. They didn't definitely have newspapers or, or telephones. And so how they would have to tell what's going on was by runners, humans, uh, word of mouth. Um, for instance, if a country was in war, there, a battle would be going on, and the generals would send out these runners to share the news. Go back to your people and tell them we're winning or losing, right? So they knew this, and someone would be at the walls of the villages or the cities, and they'd be looking for this runner, this person that brought the news. Um, and sure enough, they might be seen running down the mountain or through the valleys, and the word would get out. Hey, the runner's coming. The runner's coming. The runner's coming. These people would get the city gates. They're all looking at this runner. What kind of news does he have? He could bring bad news or he could bring good news. They'd be looking at their face. Were they winning the war? Was things going to be okay? We need to know the news. And sometimes it was bad news. And many times we receive a lot of bad news. And a lot of times bad news in our world shadows or shades the good news. I think a lot of times we are inundated with a lot of bad news. We put our hope in maybe our government. We put our hope in our, our job. We put our hope in our health. We put our hope in our talents. We hit, put our hope in humanity. And next time we know there's a headline that humanity is not treating each other well. There's discrimination, there's hate, and there's hurt and, and brokenness, right? And the tabloids love to accelerate all the nitty gritty fun things, right? That this divorce and this affair, and we got to be tracking uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, what, what their latest, right? And before we know it, we lose track of the, as the good news. Is there any good news? Is there any good hope? And so Paul knows this. And this is why he's writing to these Christians. He says, don't give up hope because hope is going to be poured out through God's love in the difficult times. And they found 
They found out that Christ is the true hope. And this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to share with these Christians, that they could have a rock-solid hope that was true to them. Now, he continues on. He gets a little bit more nitty-gritty, just uh, just, um, some theology here, right? He says, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Just at the right time, God said, you know, I'm willing to go to that broken world. I know those people are discouraged, And the big bad Roman Empire seems to be just crippling everybody. That's exactly the time I'm sending my son. That's why the Christmas season is so important to us. It commemorates this special time where God said, I love you enough that I'm sending myself through my son. This is why the angel said to Joseph, hang on, Joseph. Don't give up on Mary. Don't give up on Mary because there's something special that's been conceived in her, not by man, but by the holiness And he's going to be the one that will bring hope and to save the people from their sins. What's interesting is that all the places that God would send himself, he he picked little Bethlehem. Bethlehem was kind of a nobody's village, right? Just kind of blue collar. And of all the places of this king of the universe, he was given birth back in a manger, a stable that that was filthy and, and dirty, but simple and quaint. And at that Christmas morning, all the universe, hope broke through in the darkness. That's why we get excited. That's why we turn on the lights. That's why we want to sing. Because at that very time, the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for us. Now, a lot of times we don't think that we're ungodly because we're pretty moral people. I don't know too many of us are out there committing horrendous crimes, right? Uh, but you'll, you'll find that a lot of times we, it's not so much about horrendous actions or behaviors. It's our heart. So he continues to write, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. So a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Sure, there, there might be a loved one that would be willing to die for you. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The word sinners is kind of a category. It's overarching uh, sin. A lot of times we think, oh, uh, someone did something bad. We broke a commandment, right? But sin itself really is the essence of self. This is where we get the concept of selfishness. Uh, we, we don't have to teach kids to be selfish. Uh, they just kind of have that in, inbred in their heart, right? We have to teach them to be good. And selfishness is self is what is the ungodly here. This is the, the problem. It goes all the way back to the first chapters of the Bible and the creation where Adam and Eve were tempted not to just to do crimes, but to set up their own kingdom. Um, and, and God's heart, when we are, are uh, not with him and we're setting up our own godship, right? This is sin. It's kind of like we say, you know what? I know you're there, God. I, I know you're probably a good entity, whatever, but I want to do my own life, right? I'll set the moral rules. I'll decide what's right or wrong. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to do life my own way. This is competition, if you will, with God. This is the number one problem. We have a sin problem. Now, I would, I would submit this to you. Because we have this selfishness and we don't want to follow what God does, we not, might be a, not a horrible person, 
eventually it trickles out to our relationship. It eventually trickles out into actions. And before we know it, we society suffering with a sin issue, a selfish issue. Before we know it, there is damage. There is cost to our relationships. There's cost to our societies. We can't already make enough prisons because it's all about selfishness, sin. And this is what he's saying. Do you realize that he came for those people? That includes you and me. There was a preacher that went to visit a combat veteran and share the good news of Christ. That Jesus died on the cross for him. And the, he, the preacher was talking, the, the combat veteran stopped him and said, well, preacher, that's nice uh, that he died on the cross, but you know, I had some comrades that died for me in brutal ways. Um, they laid their life down for me. So it's not that big a deal. And the preacher kind of pushed back a little bit and said, no, I don't think you understand. You would die for your comrades. Your, your comrades died for you. But would your comrades die for your enemies? Would you die for the enemies on the other side of the line? And of course, the, the veteran used some explicitness and said, well, no way, right? I wouldn't do that, those guys. And this is what Paul was trying to say. Scholars tell us that we, while we were the, the enemies of Christ, that's who God came for. See, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all somehow offended God. We have a sin issue, and at that very time, that's why God did to demonstrate his love for us, for all the people, the imperfect people, the unrighteous people. It's no accident that God sent his angels to all the people on the earth to share the good news of Christmas. He sent them to the shepherds. If you know anything about the shepherds in those days, shepherds were kind of like the, the outcast derelicts, right? It's kind of like the young men that, couldn't do much, so why don't you just watch the sheep on the other side of the hill while all of us have some, some decent jobs, right? They were young, they were rowdy, they were nomadic, right? You can, you can imagine the parties, you can imagine the language, you can imagine you know, what, what they wanted for Christmas or whatever, and all the people, they says, there's good news coming. God is in favor. It's through these dirty shepherds. What does that say about our God? What does that say about his heart and his hope for even us? Those who have fallen short, those who have tried to be morally good people, but probably not good enough for God. And this is what Paul is drilling down to. Now, just give me a little bit here. He's going to get a little bit more technical, all right? But he goes on, he says, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now, the word justify is a legal term. If you're a decent person, you believe in justice. If someone's been damaged and hurt, justice has to be prevail. Something has, there has to be a consequence. You just can't let people offend people and hurt people without us doing anything. The same with God. When we offended God and not put him into our life and followed him, there's a penalty that has to be paid and God's going to bring a wrath. The Romans, in Romans, he also says that the wages of sin is death. He's talking about a damnation there. But because we've been justified by the blood and this saves us from God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. He uses the word reconciliation three times. Reconciliation means something that's been mended, 
So therefore, something's been torn. Something's been broken. And there takes some healing. It takes something to be brought together. And so for most of our hope, it's like, well, I'm going to bring us together by my good works. I'm going to try to be a better person. And I'm going to hope at the end of the day that God's going to say, well, you were okay enough. And so ah, we're going to let you in. And there's no reconciliation. It's just works. It's just religion. But God so loved us that he says, you know, I'm going to reconcile. Yes, I'm going to heal our relationship. Not by your works, not by your hope that you're a good enough person, because none of us are a good enough person. It's going to be by my blood. You're going to be saved. You're going to be reconciled. And this is why he's boasting. This is his true hope. This is what he is excited about. This is what we call the good news. I talked about the runner coming. And sometimes the runners would come and they look at his face and they say, yes, there's good news. I have good news for you. We are winning the battle. We are won the battle. Things are going to be okay. This good news is where we get the word gospel. The gospel is made up of these two words, good news. This is our mission at Faithbrook. This was Christ's mission to bring good news. I think a lot of times we chase counterfeit things that don't, that eventually fall, find out that it isn't good news. It's very disappointing. But God's gospel, God's good news is sure. It's rock solid. And Christ is the true hope. Isn't that what we really want down deep? True, eternal hope in our soul? Um, I, I heard about the, um, a 60 Minutes um, interview with Tom Brady in 2006, Tom Brady was on the top of the world. He just won three Super Bowls, and everyone was talking about this good-looking NFL player, quarterback. And so they sat down and said, hey, how's it going? And this is what Tom Brady said. I'm 27, I've won three Super Bowls. But I'm asking myself, is this it? He goes on and says, I don't really feel satisfied there must be something more. See, all his life, his hope has been in fame and fortune. And he's received all that fame and fortune. And yet, he's asking himself, is this it? I don't feel that much satisfaction. I really haven't had solid hope in my life. There has to be more. And of course, many of you know he went on to to uh, win two more Super Bowls. And if you follow his career, he's kind of aged out, right? And he's not with his wife anymore, this supermodel wife for years. They got beautiful kids. But uh, the rumor is kind of that they came to a point where she wanted him to let go of his career. And he's like, man, I still want to play. Next thing you know, they're divorced. And now he's, they're both kind of living on their own. Sad situation. The other day, I was kind of flipping through YouTube, and there's these short little reels or shorts or whatever they call them. And uh, one came across that kind of sh surprised me, and it was this big, massive yacht going through some channel down Miami. And there was one man sitting on top of his yacht on the front all by himself. And this arrow went, whoop, and the title was Tom Brady. And I thought, wow, okay, well, there's Tom Brady retired, and isn't it uh, interesting that he's all by himself floating down on, who knows, $5 million yachts, all by himself. And I wonder if he's still wrestling with, you know, is this it? I, I won five Super Bowls. 
Everyone talked to me. I had the super wife. I had the super kids. I had the world by the tail. And now, now what? Where's my family? Why am I by myself? And probably the only hope he has now is his past memories, his aging fractured body. He's probably bored with all his money. And he's wondering, is there anything deeper? An eternal hope. My friends, this is the good news that Christ has come to give us a solid rock truth and hope. And Christ would back it up through his resurrection that he was the truth, the way, and the life. You can count on him. And the apostle Paul is trying to write to these Christians. You can count on him. He is the one true hope. In fact, he's so hopeful that the last chapters in Romans 15, he writes this beautiful scripture. I love this scripture. May the God of hope, there it is again, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this hope takes faith. In fact, hope and faith are interconnected. See, we all believe in something. We all have faith in something. We're going to have faith in our career. We're going to have faith in our bank account. We're going to have faith in our talent. We're going to have faith in our brains. We're going to have faith in our family. Somewhere it takes faith to have hope. Where is your faith in? What is your hope in? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your health? Is it in your family? Is it in your career or your talent? Where is your eternal hope? Is your hoping that Somewhere, maybe as an infant, you were baptized and that's going to get you in heaven. Is your hope that you have more good than bad and God's in the sea and say, okay, that's, that's good enough? If that's the truth, then why did Jesus have to come? If it's just good behavior and being religious and faithful, then we, we didn't need Christmas. We didn't need the cross. We don't need you to die on the cross because we can find our own salvation. And the apostle Paul's like, no. We're not justified by good works. We're not justified by religious actions. We're justified by his grace and his faith. We, we live morally and good because of that. And that Jesus, that baby who came, would save the world. It wasn't going to be Caesar. Eventually, they would also crumble. It'd be Christ himself that would set himself up through the universal Roman Catholic Church, and it would grow. It wasn't going to be in money. It wasn't going to be in relationships. It's going to be in faith in Christ Jesus, rock-solid faith. Because Christ came to be your true hope. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate, and we can count on him. Um, a couple of years ago, I was cruising through Facebook, and uh, there was an f- acquaintance that I knew from college that posted a long uh, story, long story, and you rarely see those, but he had something he needed to share, uh, an epic event that happened in his life. Uh, I, you know, he, some of you might do Facebook and, you know, you don't talk to these people. You just kind of watch them and they pop up once in a while. This is kind of the, the acquaintance. Uh, I knew this guy from college, but I haven't talked to him for years. But he I probably watched him a little bit because he, he ran into some wealth and they traveled and they'd post all those things and they were notorious for hanging out in the Caribbean and boating around and beach and stuff like that, right? So part of his post, he says, we're down there in the Caribbean 
and we love snorkeling. And, and one morning, I'm going to go snorkeling on this big coral out in the ocean. My wife didn't want to go that day. So I said, I'll just go out by myself. So he got a surfboard. He piled way out for this spectacular coral reef that he was going to spend the morning snorkeling around. He thought he anchored his surfboard, um, but he, he snorkeled for hours, having a great time. Now it's about noon. He's like, man, I'm a little tired here. I've had enough. He pops up looking for his surfboard and it's gone. Got dislodged. It's gone. It's like, okay, well, this is not good. I'm here treading water and, uh, I, and, the, and the resort and the beach is way down there uh, and I better start swimming. So he starts swimming and starts realizing the tide is shifting. It's coming up and moving and it's coming out. And as he's swimming, that thing is pushing back. And, and, and so he starts panicking a little bit. He says, man, the, now I'm swimming against the tide and I'm running out of energy. And so he pushes himself <clears throat> really hard to beat this tide. And he starts realizing that I'm not making much progress and I'm in trouble. And so he finds himself back in this coral with the tide uh, rising and he's exhausted. He's running out of energy. He's like, man, I am in trouble. Nobody kind of knows I'm out here. I, I, I'm not going to make it. And so he looks down and it's beautiful. Maybe I can find some kind of coral rock. And eventually he finds one little piece of property, a little precipice of coral that's stuck up. And he, in his post, said, I could plant one foot on that little piece of rock and keep my head above the water as the tide was rising, bouncing, trying to survive. He said, I started crying out to God, God, I'm in trouble. Send someone save me, help me. And he said, praise God, back at the resort, my wife started getting worried and we had some friends there. And one of my friends was like, man, this is not right. He's been out there too long. There must be something wrong. And a couple of them said, we're going to go out looking for him. And they got a boat and they thought, well, he's probably out in that, that coral way out there. And, and eventually they would get out there and they are looking and found this little head bobbing. And when they found him, he was almost dead. He was so tired, barely making it, bobbing on this little piece of, of coral rock. And they dragged him up on the boat and they drove him back and he's recovering and finally he gets his wits and he's trying to tell him what, what happened, what happened. He says, man, I've been surviving on this little piece of rock. He says, if that little piece of rock wouldn't have been there, I would have died. But thank God for the rock. My friends, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And this morning, I want to give you the, the privilege to make sure that you have rock-solid hope in Christ Jesus. If something would happen to you that, that you came to eternity, do you have certain hope that you would enter into eternity? Or are you just hoping that God's going to let you pass because you were a good person, you had good thoughts and had good vibes, right? A lot of times we are not certain and we don't have that hope that Paul was talking about, to be saved and justified through his grace. This morning, we're going to say a prayer. I'm going to invite you to close your, your eyes and kind of um, get quiet. We close our eyes just to give God time to speak to us, just to push away the distractions. And maybe for the first time or in a long time, it's kind of made sense to you. Maybe you've been sticking around Facebook for a little bit and listening to some sermons and trying to be a good person, but really never came to that decision to say, God, 
I need to make certain that I'm right with you. Maybe all your life it's like, well, maybe it's been a good person or infant baptism, but it's been clear to you today that it's by grace, it's by what he did on the cross, and it's by faith that we can have this hope. So I'm gonna invite you to say a prayer with me silently, and then we're, we're, we're going to make a decision to say yes. Gracious God, in this sacred moment, you're speaking to our hearts. For some of us, if we were honest, we don't have eternal certain hope. And we need hope. We maybe set up our own kingdoms, drifted away from you, trying to just do life on our own. But you came for us to be woken up that it's about your grace through faith. And this morning, we pray to you, God, in faith, that you would hear our cry, that we have fallen short, we have been the sinners, and we, you, we want you to forgive our sins right now by faith. We think about the scripture that says, if we confess our sins, then he would be faithful and righteous to forgive us of all our unrighteousness. Today we claim that scripture, God, by faith, that we confess our sins. Come into my life, make it true, cleanse me from all my shame, my selfishness, my regrets, make me whole. Reconcile me to yourself. I claim that, I believe that by faith right now. Friends, if you're watching online or you're sitting here, your heads bowed, eyes closed, and you sincerely said that prayer, God, with all my heart, I want you in my life. I want to have that certain hope. I want to live for you the best I can, that I want you to show that to God by raising a hand in just a little bit. I'm going to count to three, and on three, if you said that prayer, meant it with all your heart, I want you to raise your hand. Why do we raise a hand? We raise a hand because it's a physical symbol to our spiritual life that we're serious about this. It's a symbol to God that we're willing to at least do something physical, say, yes, Jesus, I say yes to you. I want you to forgive my sins. I want true spiritual hope to reconcile my heart. And I'm gonna raise my hand. So if you said that prayer, maybe you haven't said it in a long time, or maybe it's your first time, Online, you can hit that button on the side there, raising your hand. Or here, physically, we're going to just lift it up and God's going to see it. On a count of three, one, two, three. Raise your hand. Keep them raised. God sees that. You can put them down. Oh, Jesus, you went to the cross for these hands. You went to the cross for these souls. You're willing to forgive us, God, when we were the enemies, when we were the offenders. And God, it's amazing grace here, willing to forgive us and enter into our souls. And I pray for these sincere hearts, God, that opened up their hearts today. And for the first time, maybe ever or in a long time, that allowed you and asked you to come in their heart, bless them, solidify it in their soul, that they have true rock solid hope of eternal life and that Holy Spirit will continue to pour into their life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, friends, it's been a great service today. I'm so glad for many of you took that courageous step of raising your hand. I'd love to know that if you took that step, I want to pray for you. We have some resources to help you in a walk to be victorious and successful. But meantime, I hope that you have a blessed day. So you're welcome to stand. Uh, We're going to dismiss this service. Uh, God bless you.